Welcome to the Eater Upsell, everybody. I'm your host, Helen, as I am every week, and that's Greg. Hey, how's it going? Hi, Greg. Uh, got a pretty good show today, Helen. It's great. It's fucking great. Freaking yep. great. Cat meow mm-hmm. great. Because we are here with <laughs> Jessica Seinfeld, the cookbook author, the philanthropist, uh, the Instagram super user. Hey, Jessica. Yeah. Hi. We're super excited to talk with you. Also, you brought me cookies, and we're going to talk about those in just a second. Greg doesn't get the cookies because he's joining us remotely, but I will taunt him with them. But first... For everybody listening at home who may or may not have a Jessica Seinfeld made cookie in their hand, as I do, make sure that you are subscribed to the Eater Upsell, which you can do by hitting the subscribe button on the podcast listening device you are using right now. Or if you're already subscribed, give us a five-star rating on the iTunes store, even if you don't listen to us on iTunes. That's a very cool thing. They have no idea if you've actually subscribed. Yeah. And you love us. Yeah. So you should give it's like Uber. Just yeah, give them five stars. Just always do. Otherwise we get fired. So you don't want that. And Jessica Seinfeld told you to do it. Yeah, so now five stars. To. Five you sh- stars. You should have five stars. This is so good. Um, and tell your friends and loved ones how great the Eater Upsell is and that they should listen to it too. And um, yeah, I'm saying and too much. So cool. You can also always reach out to me and Greg at upsell at eater.com if you have questions, compliments, complaints, or you have suggestions for things you want to hear us talk about or people you want us to talk to on future episodes Well, answer your show. emails. There are so many things we want you to do. Yeah, we do. We answer every single email and we often send gifts, which is fun. Yeah. Gifts like cookies. Gifts and well, like, oh, I, I meant like the animated. Um, oh, gifts. Oh, gifts. 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 I no, thought you said gifts. we don't accept gifts. gifts. So That's like, actually a journalism thing. We No, wait. Sorry. We accept gifts. We will not send. Oh, you have ethics. I thought they were called GIFs. This is a big yeah, debate. I read an article that they're called GIFs. You know, I do what I want. That's my response to this. That's right. GIF is the bliss that I follow. But anyway, all of that said, do like the 20 things that that I told you to do, listeners of this podcast. And while you're doing them, stick with us because we're going to talk with Jessica Seinfeld about her new cookbook and all sorts of other cool stuff, including I think we're going to talk about Oprah. Greg said it in passing, but we should say it like emphatically. You are the author of a new cookbook called Food Swings. I thought I was done— after my last book, I've this is my like I said this is my fourth book, and so after my third book, the Can't Cook book, I thought that was my swan song because I really kind of got into all of this by accident. Anyway, I never planned to be a cookbook writer. Um, so, the book Food Swings is about the conversation that I and so many people I know have in their heads all day long, which is you know, swinging back and forth between punishing yourself and enjoying yourself and just the endless, exhausting narrative about, you know, I should have eaten this or I shouldn't have eaten that. Um, Why, you know, why didn't I enjoy that last piece of cake when you get home? You know, I just felt like I was just on this kind of hamster wheel of punishing myself and enjoying myself. And I just wanted to put it to bed and create a framework to live in, which is the book as it's set up. Half of the recipes are clean-ish, because my version of clean is very different from other people's. And half of the um, book is, you know, the fun things that you want to eat, like fried chicken and all the things that you party with. Yeah, it's like half the first half is virtuous recipe. You, you title it virtue and vice. Virtue right? and vice. So, yeah. I, I was, you know, flipping through and looking at the vice half, and I was like, oh, I, I don't even think of these as vice. This is just normal. This is just me. normal. Well, you're not just like, like you're not going to have a fried chicken lifestyle and be able to go to the doctor and have everything check out. Right. And so I just say, like, keep yourself out of the doctor's office and live most of your life in virtue, um, but absolutely never be afraid to. 
have a, a lot of ice too, because that's what really makes it all balance out and fun. And for me, it's relaxing. I am a great person to live in structure. That's just how I am built. And so I live between the two covers of this book and that really helps me. I have just, I don't have any guilt about any food I eat ever. I love that. That's a recurring theme on this show. We reject the notion of a guilty pleasure. Yeah. I hate that word. I hate it. I'm doing all these interviews right now for this book and every person asks me, what is your guilty pleasure? I say, I don't even associate, first of all, I don't associate those two words together, but also if you're, you know, if you're going to do something, just do it yeah, and enjoy it. And, um, like there is a list of things you should feel guilty about doing, but it's not like from a moral cake. perspective, right. it's for like sure. committing genocide is yeah. a guilty pleasure. You should not feel happy about that. But sure. like cake Food, or like food putting is not cheese a guilty into pleasure. your salad right. should not qualify as a guilty pleasure. Just ever since people started posting food on social media, you just, food is such a, uh, a primal thing for people. And the rage that comes at you uh, when you post a salad with chicken and cheese, you know, it's just, it, it's so unexpected. And it's, I, I was sort of, I was laughing about it the other day. I did a, a goop video with Gwyneth Paltrow and I, I cooked my um, cauliflower and eggplant meatballs, which are so amazing, and they're in this book. But um, we were talking about how it's not even enough anymore to be a vegan, or I mean, it's not, it's not even enough anymore to be a vegetarian. If you're not vegan, you're you know, committing genocide, right. and it's just and you've really, got to be a raw vegan, and like they have to be sprouted cashews. Yeah. They can't just be like cashews from the bodega. Right? Bag. Oh, like, they're not sprouted. Oh. It's, it's, no, it's, a, it's really interesting. And so I, I attribute it to it being one food being one of those things that just reminds people of when they were very small and how food in your house was treated. Well, in the book, you have um, the, the recipes are interspersed with these wonderful little sort of personal essays. And you, in one of them that's about your mom, there was this moment that I related to so deeply where you talked about feeling very jealous of other kids' lunches. Yeah. Like they had normal lunches and you didn't. And that this is completely my childhood. What like, were your lunches? My lunches were like hippie kosher lunches. Same. And I was just like literally all I want is a Lunchable or like Sarah Lee smoked turkey on Wonder Bread was just my archetype of a perfect oh, yes. food. We had only brown bread and our cereals came in bags when you guys would go over to friends' houses, would you just go crazy, like, if they, you know, they're like, here, have some junk food, have some snacks? I would go to my friends' houses, and I would go into their pantries, and I would stand there for, like, 20 minutes and just fantasize about being able to eat jet-puffed marshmallows, just opening a bag of normal, you know, food that you see in the grocery stores. My parents were so offbeat and so funny. We, and But it was so funny. It was sort of a metaphor for my whole life because— my parents, we lived in this town called Oyster Bay, Long Island, and we had this like crazy weird house and everyone else lived in these, in my mind, the most fantastic um, neighborhoods with where every house looked exactly the same and everyone's life was really linear and, and the same. And we were always kind of like the offbeat family. Um, and so I like the food thing just comes from there, I think as well. Like everything we did was just different and weird. I just always find it interesting to hear how people grew up with food in their house and the kind of rules that they learned. Like, I mean, for example, it kind of sounds like Jessica 
like this idea of virtue and vice that you're now putting in this book seems like maybe something that was kind of formed a very long time ago or something, you know? And and I I learned to cook really, really young because I helped my mom. She commuted an hour from where she worked in Long Island to get home. And so she taught me very early on to here's how you make a baked ziti. Here's if I call you before I leave work, here, put it in the oven at this time, at this temperature, and take it out if I'm not home yet. And so I learned far too young probably how to really look after myself and my family. And I just think it's a really important life skill. I, I mean, I'm, as I say in the book, like I'm probably one of the least qualified voices in the food world. And I have no aspirations of being more than that. I think of food as, um, you know, our way of life. And if I could be a problem solver for myself, which I am, which is what my first book was about, which is about putting vegetables into everything because my own kid wouldn't eat anything but white bread and French fries. And I was, as a first-time mom and somebody who grew up around fruits and vegetables and really wholesome food, um, I just didn't know what that was going to be like. Is she, she, she always going to eat like this? And so you learn later on, no, they start to incorporate other things. But as a young mom, I didn't know that. And so um, all this to say, I think that the paths that we go on, in, in this case for me, writing books, did come from being able to cook very early on, looking after my own family and helping my mom look after our family. And then when I was in college and I had zero money and I was like a waitress and I had to, you know, my friends all came from families that had much more money than mine. And so they were always going out to dinner and they were always like having a lot more fun than I was. And I was like working after work. I was working after my internship and then I was coming home late at night and I would cook for myself. And so that kind of started to, my roommate started to say, oh, this is really good. And so I started to really cook for a lot of people. Um, very naturally because it was more fun. I had finally people staying home with me instead of everyone going out and me never, I never wanted to spend money going out to dinner. Right. Um, so that all kind of blossomed into me taking care of myself. And so then I come to, to New York City after college and I um, am still doing the same thing, cooking for myself. And all my friends are like, oh, you know, there's so many places to eat in New York City. Why don't you just go? I'm like, I'd just rather not spend money on food. I'd rather feel better about myself and look after my finances and just eat at home. And so then I met my husband um, and he said, why don't we go out to dinner? I was like, oh, why don't I just cook for us? So and for your first date, and first we should set, clarify yeah. in case any of our listeners don't know, your husband is Jerry Seinfeld. Yes. Who like people may have heard of. He, yeah. Like, people know him. Yeah. He's done a couple good things. So on your first date, my you cooked first him dinner. date, cooked him dinner. What'd you make? Chicken parmesan. Really? Like, long, All the way? Like, long Island, because we're both from Long Island, so Long Island chicken oh, parmesan. Oh, you strategized. No, that's just my favorite okay. thing, and I told him that's my favorite thing to make, and that's a crowd pleaser, and that's what I used to always make in college and, and for my friends after college. And so he was like, that sounds amazing. That's my favorite food. So I made it for him, and uh, yeah, it's probably the reason why we're still married at this point, that seventeen years like later. A, but sounds like an ambitious first date um, thing to cook because it probably involved frying and stuff too, right? And like all the different like breading and the eggs. It's kind of messy. That's a complicated yeah. meal. That's not like a quick, easy dinner. Really? I don't think of it as a complicated meal. I must be just so awesome. Yeah. Well. No, I think it's something I have down, and of course, I wanted to make him something that he would like. Sure. So I think he was just 
just blown away that I didn't want to like go out and be seen with Jerry Seinfeld. And you know, I was like, no, let's just stay home and I'll cook. Oh, that's so cool. So cooking was like from day one, kind of a part of your relationship there. That's so neat. If you had to cook him a first date dinner now, would it still be chicken parm? Same. Same thing? Same. It's our Sunday night meal still with our, our kids. It's our kids' favorite thing. It's like your song, but it's- It is. Food. It's our, it's it's our karaoke relationship jam. song. Your first dance is to chicken parmesan. Honestly, if that was our <laughs> wedding song, that could chicken parmesan could have been our wedding. There's got to be a song out there called chicken parmesan. I'm sure. Like if you, if plug not, it into we could Spotify, definitely write we'll it. Oh, it would do so it. well too. We'd all just make so much money off the royalties from our novelty chicken parmesan. <laughs> Are you still like uh, a family that likes to eat at home and cook, or do you like prefer now to go out to eat more? Have you gotten comfortable going to restaurants? Uh, yeah. I mean, again, I prefer, first of all, I have a zillion kids and they're all in junior high or high school at this point. So they all have tons of homework. So that's the boring answer is we eat at home definitely five nights a week. Uh, and Jerry works every weekend. He Friday and Saturday nights, he has shows all over the country. So he's not home on those weekend nights. But on the off night that he is home on a weekend, we do go to one favorite restaurant. And it's so fun. It's such a wonderful thing as a family to go to one restaurant where all the wait staff knows your kids and they know what you're going to order. And there's something so comforting and cozy. And sort of community building. I always like it when my kids have to be responsible in a different community. Like when you went to synagogue or when you go to church, building those communities that your so your kids are accountable to other people is like such a such a great thing. So having tradition is really important to us and we have tons of food traditions in our family. Like what? Like say bars or bagels and locks is every religious Jew. That's a very that, important That's our religion. Thing. I mean, that's an, you don't even have to be Jewish. I think you just have to live in Manhattan and like you have to respect the bagel and locks. It's an important. It really I is. I live in Brooklyn too. I mean like and it's a. It's a, it's a, it's a New York thing. Yeah. That's hard to explain to anyone else that doesn't live in New York. So is your Zabar's move the pre, like, do you have them make your bagel and locks oh for you? God, or do you get a no. bag of bagels, a thing of cream cheese, and a thing of locks? Because this all. is the great divide. You cannot walk into our house with a package of locks. No. Jerry, behind the counter at Zabar's, must slice it for you, and he must hold it up because their point of pride is that you can read the newspaper through it. Yes, it's so beautifully sliced. And by Jerry, you're not talking about your husband. I'm not. I'm talking about Jerry. Jerry Seinfeld must be behind the counter telling jokes (laughs) and holding up the locks. Jerry Seinfeld is ordering from Jerry at Zabar's. But Jerry at Zabar's is like, he's legendary. He is. That's the first place he said I love you to me. Wait, really? Yeah. The, Jerry the lock slicer or Jerry your husband? Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jerry Seinfeld, the, the first time when we were dating, he said, I love you, was in Zabar's. And I just thought, okay, my grandmother would be so happy. Yeah, right that's now. the most perfect thing I've ever heard. At the locks counter. You have, like, this is this is beautiful. That's like. I've never told that story. Because I always think, who cares? But it's, no, that's, it's our little story. Was it because of the locks? He said, this is the perfect time. To tell you that I love you. Like, <laughs> I want to cry. I want to cry right now. <laughs> That's, That's really just, sweet. I don't even remember the first time my husband said I love you to me. It was not picture perfect like that. I mean, maybe because mine was at Zabar's. <laughs> it was so heightened. It's so, I mean, everything at Zabar's is just yeah. covered in fairy dust and magic. It really is. And I've been going to Zabar's since I was born, and I have such a you know, familial relationship with that place and with my grandmother and, and memories there. So I think 
perhaps had he just like said it on the fly. I would have remembered. Of course oh, I would sure. have remembered. But um, I think it was especially momentous that it was at St. Bars at the locks counter. You keep going back to that. That's like something that's still part of your life, that that little special place there. That's so cool, you know? Yeah. And now my kids have relationships with all the guys behind the counter. So it's, I mean, St. Bars is part of your family. Basically. It is. St. Bars is our family. If you ever decide to throw like a like a renew your vows second wedding, you should just have it at St. Bars. At the locks counter. Right. Out that would store. smell though. I kind of hate the aftermath. The residual lock yeah. smell is a little much. Like as the salmon oils start to go a little rancid. Yeah. I always like to my kids, could you please go wash your hands? Okay, so <laughs> it's uh, bagels, cream cheese, and locks from Zabar's. And I read that you're you have a very fancy coffee machine. So what's the what's the coffee service like? Do you have any rules about the coffee? I have to say that I bought the floor model of an Electra coffee machine about five years ago, and I amortize it every day in my sure. brain. because cost per use. Co- cost per use, and it cost as much as my Volkswagen Jetta that I bought with my bus girl tips when I was 17 years old. So I have to I have to amortize this thing. Um, and so, and by the way, that when I bought that car, it was like, what, 1990? I mean, an Electra is like easily like a $2,000 yeah. coffee machine. It's, it's a lot that. of money. It was it's around that. But I bought the, I would not buy the brand new one. I bought the floor model, <laughs> which is so me. But um, so we are very serious about it. Um, hence Jerry's show, Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. And kind of the um, the opening, the, I guess, what do you call it? An open, the opening of his show is very beautifully shot coffee. Yeah. It's coffee point. Yeah. 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 So that I think originally came from this Electra. So I guess it has amortized. Wait, so that's your coffee no, machine? No, it's not because the- they go around to all these okay. diners and all these really special diners that still have an incredible coffee machine. Right. You know? Yeah. So um, we, yeah, so we. I bought the Electra for, um, I think I bought it for myself for my 35th birthday. I was feeling flush. And I um, bought the machine and I... Um, can't ever say there's not a moment I don't look forward to going home because I just know my coffee machine is there and my kids but but, but that coffee machine, machine and it's like you know when you go to sleep at night and you think what's what are you gonna what what are you looking forward to the next day and I just think about that machine sitting downstairs waiting for me and it's like Christmas morning it is every, every time and it's <laughs> so worth it and it's it's kind of a pain in the ass because you have to have some guy from New Jersey come and fix it all the time because it's very temperamental it's like a jaguar like the card it's the like the animal. most it's like what's a what's an actress or like somebody who's just untouchable and then you know she gets manipulated because you know it's I feel like this is a Faye Dunaway thing it's or something. very There's Faye very Dunaway like, she's I'm gonna call her Faye Dunaway after you Helen great name for a coffee machine yeah, she, she is now being called Faye Dunaway I feel very special right now this so is- the vice side of this book did the recipe, like the ideas for the recipes, did they just kind of pop out or like, you know, did you base them off of things you had at restaurants or were these things like you always knew you wanted to kind of... You sat down and you were like, how can I make the most I thought chocolate if I'm, cake? I'm, you know, the last month I'm alive, if I know I'm going to die, what am I going to have for dinner every single night of the last month of my life? And that's what the recipes are. Just my own personal taste. Hopefully people like it. If yeah. not... There's lots of other books out there. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, that's the difficulty, I think, with any cookbook or any anything that you put out into the world, right? Like, you know, some people aren't going to like it. And yeah, that's okay. That's okay. 
Yeah. And then you can also print recipes out for free. You know, yeah. that's, 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 it's changed. Everything's changed so much. I just try to add my own little spin on the way I do it. And in this particular case, this was like the accidental baby, you know, the, like the child you never planned because it just came to me and I, and I said, this is how I need to live. I need to live in virtue most of the time. And I need to be enjoying myself in vice the other time. And having a cover on the front and having a cover on the back to live between, no, I'm saying like oh, okay. <laughs> living between the two covers of this book. The, the front cover is, is this great picture of you where you're holding a, a beautifully frosted donut in front of one of your My eyes. My friend Franny at Dough Donuts made me a special one for this shoot, I have to say. Dough's the, Doe, the bomb. Dough's the bomb. I had two last night, that lemon poppy seed, and the coconut, I can't. The coconut dough donut is insane. In- do you have a recipe for donuts in the book? Not in this book. In uh, Deceptively Delicious, I do apple cider donuts. So Deceptively Delicious is the book, is, as you mentioned, about okay. sneaking yes. vegetables in. So what's the sneaky thing in, in the donut? I think sweet potato, yeah. which is very easy. That was in 2007, by the way. That's a very you've had a, a ten you've had a decade long cookbook author career. I mean, this is you said earlier, like you're not qualified. I mean, I think might have to retire that line. No, I'm not qualified in that I didn't go to school and that I don't deserve to have the platform that I do, I think some would say, but I it's the thing I know how to do most naturally and the best, which is to cook and to add things like for example, these tough cookies that I brought. Like why not just make it a little better for you? Those taste really good. They're right? fantastic. Yeah. So why not make everything a little bit better for you? And also why not just solve people's problems? The can cook book, same thing. All my friends growing up, all my friends from high school and in college, I love your books deceptively delicious and double delicious, but I can't cook one thing because all my friends are working girls. They've been working since we graduated. And um they didn't focus on cooking, on learning how to cook, and their moms or dads didn't cook, and so it's just not in their life, and they're really, really successful. I always say the Can't Cookbook is for people who just bypassed cooking in their life and focused on their careers. And so um, all my friends, before I wrote that book, were like, I can't, I want to be able to feed my kids this way, but I can't cook. And so I created the Can't Cookbook for them. You filled a void. Fill the point. Pro- problem solving. I just, that's what I feel like. That's my place with food. I problem solve. Sure. Do your kids cook? It's so funny. Everyone's like, oh, you're supposed to cook with your kids. I am such a control freak <laughs> that I cannot cook with my kids and enjoy it. Luckily, now my kids are at the age where they do it themselves. They love to do it themselves. They love to bake and they make themselves breakfast now in the mornings, really? which is really nice. Do they make you breakfast? No. No. They would like, I mean, they make pancakes and they're always like, mom, try the pancakes, which I will, of course. But no, it's 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 all for them. Deceptively Delicious was like a huge book. I was telling Helen this before uh, we were recording that I was working at a rival publisher when that book came out, and my job was to like keep track of the New York Times bestseller list. And like every week, I remember seeing it up there for like a really long time. Yeah, it was definitely on. Thank you. That it was on the bestseller list for many, many, many weeks. I was astonished by it. Certainly being on Oprah helps a lot. Sure. Um, she is my, she's the reason why I have a career for sure. I mean, I, if she hadn't loved the concept, um, and put me on her show, um, the Oprah thing, um, 
one of my favorite stories about you is that after you on Oprah, apparently you sent her like 50 pairs of shoes. It wasn't 50. Um, Oprah told me one time that she had a really hard time finding shoes her size. And she had a lot of foot pain for a long time. And so I made it my business after she made my career. Sure. Um, that Every time I went to a shoe store, I would ask them if they had her shoe size. They would pull out her shoe size, and most of the time they didn't have it. But when they did, I would just grab it. And I collected them for a few weeks. And then Jerry went out to Chicago to do a show with her about something, so I brought them. And I was like, this is the only way I can thank you is finding shoes your size that you like. You solved a problem. You saw a problem. You were presented with Oprah's problem, and you solved it. It was an aha moment. What's the most thoughtful thing that you can do for somebody who has everything and who's just made such a huge mark in your life and um, went out on a limb? She had no reason to put me on her show, and she loved the idea of sneaking things in, and she she liked it for herself and for Stedman. And so um, I will always owe everything from those first years to her. She was amazing and, and didn't do it you know, for Jerry or to do Jerry a favor or anything. In fact, we, you know, are always careful about things like that. And so, um, yeah, she's amazing. She oh, used yeah. it with Stedman? Yeah. That's crazy. I thought she didn't like to cook or something like that. but uh, No, she loves to cook. She oh. loves to cook. Huh. Yeah, she's she loves food. She loves to cook. She has the most incredible garden. Man, I miss that show. Woman of many wonders. I missed that show, too. Loved it so much. Oh my God, I grew up in Chicago, so it was like we were just in the shadow of Oprah at all times. I know. Like you would point to the building and the skyline, you'd be like, that's where Oprah lives. Everyone knew. I cried when they demolitioned that um, oh, building last summer. Yeah. And I, I emailed her. I said, can you believe, and I sent her the picture. I go, can you believe that this is happening? I'm crying. I'm so grateful to you. This was like last summer, I think. Yeah, it was. Very I was like, I said, I said, I, I feel really emotional. I'm crying. This this building helped me so much. You helped me so much. I'm just so grateful to you. Thank you for everything you did. And she said, it hadn't hit me until you sent me this email. Wow, thank you. Buildings are weird like that. Like, I think for Chicago, she's yeah, she's. Oh, she's She's the queen. She's all there. I mean, she's everything. Like, yeah. Chicago has, like, you know, it was, like, Oprah, Roger Ebert, and Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, okay, we're done. Like, Some, we're, a we've lot got of talent. it. We're good. That's we're a totally, lot of like, talent. Like, poor Scottie Pippen just, like, never even registered. And her and Roger Ebert dated, too. Stop it. Wait, did they really? Yeah. Oprah dated Roger Ebert? For one date. And um, Roger Skype Ebert was like, cu- like... cutting out at the wrong time. Greg, yeah. I need you to tell us <laughs> more about this. <laughs> yeah. The minute you need to hear something, it's going to disappear. <laughs> okay, so Roger Ebert was like my hero growing up as kind of a movie-obsessed nerdy kid. And um, yeah, he... I don't remember if he wrote about this or if she, she just talked about this once, but they went on one date together and it just didn't, just didn't work out. Huh. That's well, incredible. the prom king and queen of yeah, Chicago. without a doubt. There's a moment in the book um, that also, every, so much of this just like felt like you were talking about my life, um, where you talked about how you go grocery shopping with Jerry and he waits in the car. Yeah. And I, I, this also happens with me and my husband to the point where like, I think sincerely the greatest gift I can give him is to say, I'm going grocery shopping, you can wait in the car. It's like, he uh, that, loves it. He loves Sunday, waiting in the car. Sunday husband. So, like, that's the Sunday husband role. He just loves, he talks on the phone now, but like, you know, early days, he didn't have a, you don't have a phone. 
I mean, yeah. it's so weird because so many people who listen to this probably have only headphones. But we have a very youthful demographic. Yeah. <laughs> so, but now I'm now I'm less appreciative of how awesome it is that he sits in the car because he does get a lot done and he gets to talk to his friends and I always get back in the car with 10 Zabar's bags and he's just FaceTiming with George Wallace, his best friend, who he talks to about 10 times a day. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, yeah, that role of the husband waiting outside in the car is a classic. Or the wife or the or the whoever. Wife. Yes, yeah. but like the, the classic right. image. The, the partner classic. who's like, I don't actually care about for me grocery shopping is one of the most pleasurable things I can do like I love grocery stores are it's my my relaxation totally it's totally delightful and I don't understand how my husband doesn't love it the same way I do I'm just like how do you not get how soothing it is to see all of the crackers perfectly arranged it's that it's the dopamine from the search so Jessica I actually have a deceptively delicious question for you I should just get the book. I remember I bought it and gave it to my sister when she had a little kid. And now I actually have a one-year-old who, like, doesn't want to eat anything. Or he only wants to eat things that are crunchy and kind of brown. And, um, like, we're going to take him to a food therapist. But do you have any tips? Wow, or like, really? Yeah, yeah. No. We've already taken him once. but um, And it's going okay. But, like, the problem is, like, mushy stuff. And he really likes crunchy things. So would you have any tips for, like, how to make a crunchy thing? So you're taking your son? Yeah, son. You have a son? Mm -hmm. Yeah, to a food therapist because he will only eat crunchy things. Well, first he wouldn't eat, like, anything but just formula and milk and stuff like that. He just had no interest in food whatsoever. And then, you know... We really tried working on the doctor said, like, oh, this might be totally boring to our listeners, by the way, but it's very in- interesting to me and I'm very invested in it. So, okay, so it was like. And it's our goddamn podcast. Yeah. Our po- yeah. Every once in a while, right? And I wrote a book, yeah, about, this, wrote a book so about this. So it's all perfectly appropriate. So it was like the doctor was like, oh, he has this kind of palate. And so, you know, maybe you want to try the crun- crunchy thing. So kid loves crunchy things. He loves cookies and like little chips and stuff like that. But now we're like, how do we get into the things that are like, how do we feed him vegetables? You know, how do we feed him those kind of things? You know, so you have any tips for like the crunchy things? I love a frozen pea, little frozen green peas. Okay. And then cut celery up into little squares. Okay. So it looks like, yeah. And little baby, little tiny baby that they can take with their own little fingers. You know, the like tiny little tiny piles. The less you give kids, the more they want. Ah, the less they give them, the more they want. That's great. Yeah. Maybe that's our problem. We've been giving him like a tasting menu of just like little finger foods that he's not interested in. No, no. The tyranny of choice. No. I put like two little peas on his tray and walk away. Okay. Turn your back. Sorry, I'm busy. You got to play hard to get. Totally hard to get. And like you don't care. Yeah. That's so brilliant. Because that's a way of seeking, of getting attention. Maybe you're, you're just being too thirsty, Greg. Yeah, stop being thirsty, Greg. I've actually seriously had this conversation with my wife, though. No, because the success we've had with feeding him food has been, like, catching him off guard. Like, I'm like, hey, I'm pulling, I'm at the park with you, and you just got off the swing. Like, here's a little food. You want it? I don't even care. And then he's like, huh? What's this? You know? Instead of being like, right. I'm sitting you at the table and feeding you food. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think people feel like, oh, we should be, you know, putting him in his um, high chair every single time he eats because that's a, it's a, you know, kids, toddlers especially hate being strapped in there. And so you're taking his control away anyway by putting him in his, his 
I can't even remember the name. My kids are so old that I'm like, what's it called? Like a high chair. <laughs> when you put him in his high chair, he probably feels, you know, strapped in. And then you put piles of food in front of him and the expectation is for him to like everything and eat tons of it. Just like, I don't know. Stop being so thirsty, Greg. I'm, um, I will. <laughs> I will right now. And I'm going to pass that advice along. That's, um, that, that's it's very helpful. So thank you. Yeah. We'll yeah, have to you, check in on this in yeah, a future well, episode. Yeah, well, let's do a recap, like a revisit on yeah. this one. And and give me, I'll get your, we'll exchange emails and I'll, I'll I want to, I want to see what happens. Awesome. We'll do a where are they awesome. now. Awesome. I love it. We'll do a where are Jessica and Greg. It's so good. I mean, you're, Greg's, Greg's kid is really cute. And oh, I sure. really enjoy the picture, like the mental picture of him with just like two peas being like, God damn it. Okay, fine. Yeah, let him ask for more. Play hard to get, Greg. I'm going to start that this afternoon. Love it. So besides writing cookbooks, you um, also are the author of the cover story on the May issue of InStyle magazine. I know. So funny. Which is really cool because interviewing a celebrity for the cover story of a magazine is basically the apex journalism accomplishment. It's something I've never done. I don't, Greg, have you ever gotten the cover of a print magazine terrified. with a celebrity interview? I would interview? be terrified to have that assignment, um, to be completely honest and with you. And you interviewed Amy Schumer, for the, which is like, you have accomplished far more in your interviewing career than we have. So like, I don't know, do you have any advice or feedback on um, this so far? No, because um, I think journalism is now a completely different thing. First of all, I think it's a totally awesome profession. Well, you have to say that because we're journalists. No, I don't. No, I don't. Because I've had some, obviously, some pretty terrible years with journalism or journalists or so-called journalists. And now I think it's been elevated to such a level of importance in this country that I, I have such a profound respect for people who write and people who investigate and people who really show up for their jobs in in such a way that I think journalists have this year. I, I am I am so in love with the profession of journalism and my daughter's studying it now and I'm because it's just we talk the way we talk about it at our house. It's, it's really we're we're so indebted right now, I think, to journalists. But the Amy story is only a function of um I think InStyle has done an amazing job of kind of re-looking at the way people look at news and read news. And um, Amy and I have been friends for a few years, and um, I think they just wanted to do something different for this interview. Um, I hope I didn't totally screw it up. Well, you asked her some really good questions, and I bring it up because I want to ask you some of the questions you asked oh, her. great. So we're going to do, we at the end of every one of our shows, we do a lightning round, which we are going to get to, but I'm doing a pre-lightning round lightning round. Oh, Perfect. Where I'm going to ask you some of the questions that you asked Amy Schumer. Great. Describe your relationship to fashion. For me, fashion is something I admire from afar, but I love it in terms of my own self. It's my little moment of creativity. In the cookbook, as I was reading through it over the last couple of days, I kept just getting stopped in my tracks by your extraordinary array of sweaters. There are, like, oh. photos of you throughout this book, and in every single one, you are wearing the coolest, like, thank you. each sweater is the coolest sweater. That's so nice, really? Wow. Well, thank how do, you. Are these, like, did you, I, I want to know, every, I wanted yeah. fashion credits. I literally turned to the back page wow. and was like, I need to know where to get all of these sweaters. Um, I don't know, a lot of them are probably J. Crew. <laughs> They're such um, good sweaters. Because you're, you know, I, I'm not an apron person that much just because, I mean, when I'm frying stuff I'll, or I'm baking, sometimes I'll throw on an apron, but I just prefer to 
just come into the house and start cooking and not it's just one more thing to think about <laughs> well I think Greg has a question from your Amy Schumer interview oh, yeah. that he wants to throw yeah. at you so what do you love about being famous and side question what do you hate about it um what do I love about being famous um I'm, I wouldn't call myself famous I would call myself famous I'm married to someone famous famous adjacent well, we're quoting your questions to Amy so yeah you're I'm adjacent. You married into fame. I'm an adjacent. I think you're famous <laughs> though. You have four. Yeah, you have four huge cookbooks. You have a bunch of Instagram followers. You have a big charity that's very important to people. You made meatballs on Goop. Yeah. Okay. Like you're so, definitely famous. So, thank you. Uh, I'm a famous adjacent. Um, what do I love about it? Um, I love that I can start a awesome nonprofit in New York City, and people will listen to me and support it. And give us their excess baby things and they can go towards making other people's lives better. And those were the first phone calls that I made after I had the name Seinfeld, which my husband insisted on. He's very traditional. Really? And he really wanted me. Yeah. Yeah. And my, I come from a very progressive liberal family. Of course, my mother was like, what? You're going to lose our your maiden name? But um, it was something my husband felt really strongly about. So I, I did it. And um, those were the first phone calls I made, which was how to start this organization to create a pipeline of goods from families who have it to families who really need it. And 16 years later, we've given 30 million items to families in need, and we've paired them with like classes to help parents get their GEDs, parenting support, um, job placement, all these things that really take a 360-degree view of family poverty and turn these people's lives into something uh, a bit more hopeful and graceful. In contrast, Amy Schumer said she likes that she can get into restaurants, which is also seems like a pretty good perk. Yes, that is a fun thing, too. I mean, I think I can get into restaurants, too, because of my Instagram and because I write about food. And so um, I think the friends that I have in the restaurant industry are so psyched because they're, they know all Instagram it and people will come and, yeah. you know. And then there's the second half, right? What do you hate about it? What do I hate about it? I love this question. I love that you asked this question. Like, oh. this is such a Thanks. such a good question. I can't ever say I hate anything about it because that would be kind of disgusting. Um, I hate the misperception that I'm, you know, whatever. I don't even want to think about what people think of me. But um, there were some hard years where people, you know, I've always been the same person. I'm, you know, I don't know. I'm a loyal friend. I've been friends with my friends since I was in high school. And I try to kind of not um, live in the celebrity world. I really try to stay with my friends who have normal jobs and my sisters who have normal jobs and normal lives. And that's where I live. And so I think um, it's easy to perceive um, and assume things about me and us um, that is, you know, totally inaccurate, but I can't really sweat that. And if that's something I hate, then I can't really worry about what other people think. I really just got to do my job, take care of my family, take care of my friends and just, you know, live. Yeah. That seems like a pretty fair assessment. Yeah. Of, just uh, live. Like, get it done. Get it done. You must have, I mean, you have a lot of Instagram followers and a lot of, you know, you're very, you're a public person and you have a lot of projects going on and you're, you know, you're doing a lot of stuff. So it's like you're out there. It's not like you're like, you know, hi hiding away or something like that. Um, no, but what was I going to do? Like I married this guy and 
I could have gone and had lunch at Barney's every single day, but I don't connect with women. Like I don't connect with that world. I don't connect with um, people who lunch yeah, every day. Yeah. I just don't. I never have. I've been working. I've had three. I had three jobs to put myself through college. I had when I when I went on my first job interview. Um, after college, the guy I interviewed with, he goes, wow, I thought you were like 30 because <laughs> of all the jobs and internships that I had. So <laughs> I feel like I've been working since I was five years old. So I, I just, I, what was I going to do? Sit home and have people be like, oh, Jerry Seinfeld married this girl and all she does is eat lunch at Barney's. Well, I'd rather them say, oh, she started this amazing charity. Maybe I can help. Maybe I can do something good in the world because of, you know, this person who happened to marry someone really famous. Yeah. So, so, you know, I could have gone two ways. I could have been a lady who lunched, which I would have, like, I'd be dead by now. (laughs) I'd be so bored and I'd be so miserable. And, uh, or I could have started my organization, wrote these books, and at least been, like, a productive person that maybe helps one or two people along the way. Yeah. I'd say more than than one or two, you know? (laughs) I mean, you're helping me and my kid for one thing, you know? So that's two right there. Yes. Well, you got to work on your thirstiness. Yeah, that's all. I'm a, I'm a well, thirst trap um, daddy or something. What? What did I just say? <laughs> oh my god! Please do not isolate that. Yeah, no, that's, yo, no, we'll that's staying. That. No, that we'll is totally that. staying yeah. in. Okay. Greg Morabito, thirst trap daddy. Please don't daddy. do like Name a techno remix of me just saying. We're that not even just Justin Seinfeld's going to be in the. It, is the description <laughs> thirst like, trap daddy? Thirst is, trap daddy, is something big. Okay. We're going to get you like a like. That's going to be my email signature from now on. Infinitely, forever. This is how you will forever oh, be known. It's Greg. amazing. I love it. It fits oh. you so perfectly. We have to. We have to write a story or something. Like there's, that's a great piece for you to learn. You like what you learn from this. You need to title that piece "Thirst Trap Daddy." You do. <laughs> that's definitely what I want to people to see as soon as they Google my name. I'll put it that way. You know. <laughs> yeah. How I learned to play hard <laughs> to get to get my son to eat. The Greg Morbido story. It's perfect. I love I it. it. Cool. I would love cool. it. Well, Jessica, thank you for playing along with our fake lightning round. We now have a real lightning round. As I mentioned before, we have a guest question asker. Today, our guest question asker is Julia Rubin, who is the executive editor of Racked, which is Eater's oh, yes. sister publication. Love. Racked is great. Right? Great. It's so good. Racked is great. All right, Julia. I understand you have some questions for Jessica Seinfeld. Hi, Jessica. This is Julia Rubin, executive editor at Racked, and I have some lightning round questions for you. What's your favorite children's book? The Black Stallion. Whoa, deep cut. Classic. I very frequently as a kid got confused between the Black Stallion and, and Black K. Beauty. And oh, the K. And the K. But like the, the yep. K was very important to me. As a me child. too. The K and the Black Stallion I read over and over and over again. Oh, Kids good. who are like lost and alone. Yeah, let's get deep exactly. on this. <laughs> dark, let's dark, not go morbid into that. kid. Oh my god, who eat hippie food. <laughs> no, <laughs> let's not. Have your kids read the Black Stallion? Yeah, weren't didn't care about it. No. Yeah. What are they? My like? kids. I had a Led Zeppelin song on in my car once, and my kids were like, "I didn't know you like country music." <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. I said, no, this was when people played instruments. It's right. country music they still do, but but yeah. Wow. Okay, yeah. well, Julia, do we have another? What's the next question for Jessica Seinfeld? What is the absolute worst current food trend? 
My, my, what food trend do I hate? I sort of just hate the trend of people just laying it out there for you on on social media and Instagram and just telling you how disgusting you are because you're not a vegan. I, I hate, I, I really hate how um, harsh vegans are about people who have not chosen that particular lifestyle. Yeah. That can be a rough path. Yeah, I don't. I guess I don't I follow think everyone anybody has, like that. But that sounds like pretty vicious, and not oh, in the way that we're talking about your. You book, should read you know? read the the comments on some of Eater's videos on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. you're you're, often you're like, hated, hated if you are not a vegan. And I've spent some time being a vegan. I've gone on and off because I don't. I won't stay on anything for a long time. I like to just experiment and you know see what's up and see how I feel, and. Um, you know, I think it's an, an amazing practice if you can sustain it. Um, but I think people just need to stop judging other people for how they eat because it's very personal to them and it's none of your business. You can say that word on the show. Really? Yeah. I, my husband is a very clean yeah, a person on stage and I think I would just maybe we can just really like disappoint him if I <laughs> went out there, you know. Gun just like blue as possible. Guns, guns blazing with the <laughs> we'll F add word. Like a but fun bleep. Yeah. Like a cat meowing or something. Pe- yes. Just leave people alone. Let people live. Let people eat what they want to live. Eat. Let people eat what they want to eat. Just shut up. Just, just shut, shut up. Shut up. The Jessica Seinfeld story. Just yeah. Up. No, we're getting all of our memoir titles <laughs> yeah, here on this episode yeah. today. It's really good. Okay, Julia, do you have another question? If you could only shop at one store to fill your closet for the rest of your life, which store would it be? Barney's. So no for lunch, but yes for clothes. I don't know. I like because my grandfather used to shop there and he used to take me there all the time and get his suits on 17th Street. And I have such an old love for the name, you know, and the history in New York. And I think I'm always attached to things that have to do with tradition and history, especially in New York. It's kind of like a Zabar's. My whole family. It doesn't really translate outside of New York. It is a Zabar's. Exactly. Zabar's sort of provides me with the same thing. But of course, the clothes at Barney's are amazing. And I like how they help young designers. And I like how they um, were the first, they were sort of, uh, you know, they went rogue. And I like that. Yeah, I remember when they like launched co-op and it was just like everything sort of changed. Yeah. I don't even, you know, I can't even say I buy a ton there. I just love the experience. And we were living in LA for a little while. And um I used to just go to the Barneys in Beverly Hills there to just as my touchstone, not buy anything, just walk around and it just feel, it reminds me of like one time when my grandmother took me to Bergdorf Goodman when I was eight years old. I was like, what is this place? <laughs> like, who are these people? They're so fancy. And so I feel like Barney's always brings me back to that time. I can't believe that I'm not so stressed about money anymore. It's like I used to sit in the vestibule of like a Chase Manhattan bank and be like, oh my God, I have $13 for a week. How am I going to get through it in New York? I'm just going to eat bagels and pizza and not take the subway and just walk. And so I feel like when I go to Barney's, I just feel, wow, I'm I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. Is that weird? No, that's, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. <laughs> I don't know if it's beautiful, but it is... It's capitalistic and it's, you know, not the most elegant thing about me, but I just, Barney's makes me feel good. I relate to that very deeply. I like you, I, 
Yes. Anyway, I buy it. I don't know, Greg, if you're if you have the same relationship to Barney's that I do, but you probably I don't. Think don't I've ever I would shop guess. there or bought anything there, but I know what it. You know, like you were saying, I feel like um, people have a real relationship to it, and it's like a real OG New York establishment. Um, Julia, do you have another question for Jessica? And now my favorite party question: Which is scarier, deep space or deep sea? That's a great question. I have always loved the deep sea. I think it's just the most extraordinary thing about the universe because there's a whole other universe living there, just like there is in space. Space doesn't fascinate me as much as the ocean does. And especially because space is the new frontier and the oceans are dying. And I feel like I need to stay with the oceans and, and, and like the depth and the vastness of the oceans are very real to us because it's part of us now and we're going into space. And I think that'll be the next thing, but I never want to leave the sea. I think, and I say this with a lot of love, that this was the most stoned moment on our podcast ever. That answer was perfect. Really? I, I think I followed you. What time and is it? It was. Beautiful. Are you stoned? I, I'm not that I'm aware of. Are you? Not right now. No. What Maybe did you later. put in those yeah. cookies? I almost. Do you do you eat edibles? This is okay. Um, so I, <laughs> um, occasionally, but I have found and I learned this through experiences with edibles that my metabolism varies wildly. Mm-hmm. Like I think it depends a little bit on. Well, it depends on the product. But sometimes I will have like fairly identical things and it will kick in immediately. And sometimes it will take like eight hours. And I have started moving away from them because I find that unpredictable. Interesting. Do you cook with weed? I don't cook with weed. But I (laughs) am not allowed to talk about this. As I look over my shoulder at all in the back. I'm not allowed to talk about this, but offline we will chat because I will solve your problem. Awesome. I love that. Um, well, deep space, but so, so you're <laughs> deep space is more terrifying to me because it's the, uh, it's really unknown. Yeah. And it's so fascinating because what we're doing right now, our clones could be doing somewhere else on another planet. But I think the, I'm, I'm so sad by what is going on in our oceans that I feel that we've got to we've got to deal with this. Yeah, but space is, I think, objectively scarier, terrifying. Like and you could freezing, always, freezing, freezing cold. Like you, if if you were, if you were sort of transported into the like deepest ocean, you could, in theory, try to swim to the surface. Like you might not make it, but like there's a thing to swim towards. And if you were transported into deepest space, you would just die. If I was to die in the Indian Ocean, which is sort of warm. I would be okay with it. I don't want to freeze to death in the middle of space. That seems totally horrific. Yes. Yeah. It's, it Again, seems just like horrible. terrible yeah. things yeah. to imagine, terrible ways to go, you know? I mean, I'm not criticizing. I don't. Are you Jewish? You're not Jewish. No, I'm not. No, the two Jews are totally no, fine no, no. contemplating our death. Jews have this stain of slavery and the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. We have we have it in our DNA to be very close to death and pain at all times. We 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 connect to it very easily. It's not weird. It's just like who we are. We do you watch Crazy Ex Girlfriend? I don't. There is a, a a song so the the show has 
songs, like fully produced Broadway musical style songs in every episode. And the main character is Jewish and she has an amazing, incredibly stereotypically Jewish mother played by Tova Felcha, who is oh, just, I mean, it's, every, oh it's amazing. Gosh, the greatest. I've and, seen every play she's ever been in, but oh no, now I have to watch this. It's okay. so good. But there's this fantastic moment where she takes her non-Jewish boyfriend to her cousin's bar mitzvah and there's this whole dance number called Remember That We Suffered. Yeah. And it's like this super upbeat okay, thing and it's everyone being like, we're celebrating, we're happy, but remember that we suffered. It's yeah. the best thing It's so world. funny. I'm planning my Passover next week and I'm trying to think about these people that I want to invite, but I feel like I don't think that they'll get with our vibe. Like, I think they're super positive and happy people and I don't think that they're going to relate. My family has a, a tradition um, called the Holocaust drinking game where my parents' generation are the children of survivors and at every family get-together, Passover, Thanksgiving, like my mother and her siblings and all the spouses, at some point the conversation inevitably turns to the Holocaust, regardless of where it begins. I must be in your family. Yeah, and my cousins and brothers and sisters and I developed this secret game a decade plus ago where as soon as someone mentioned the Holocaust, we would all quietly take a drink. And over the years, like, it became very serious. Like, we play it hardcore every Thanksgiving. And one year, we were not sneaky enough. And our parents were like, what are you doing? And we told them. And now they think it's the funniest thing in the world. And they <laughs> oh, I'm love so it. Glad. And the greatest part is that it has solved the Holocaust problem for us. Because now, it's like nobody wants to be the first to bring it up. Because whoever brings up the Holocaust, everyone around the table points at them and says, you did it. You have to drink. This is normal, no, guys. This I, is um, totally normal. I think this is like very healthy and cool that we're talking about this, you know. And I was going to say, for that yeah. reason, you should. I, I think it would be. I mean, not like you need my advice, but I think you should just go ahead with your Passover plan and and invite your friends, even if they're not into it, because then they'll learn something, you know. Yeah. Show them the real you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not about that. It's just, it's not about them. I mean, they know me so well. It's it's. But it's a different thing when there's, like, a big group of Jews and you're not. Yeah. You know, there'd be, like, 16 Jews and these two are not. And they're from upstate New York. And I just feel like I don't know if they'll have that much fun. I don't know if they'll get it. I think they'll have fun. Okay. I think it's the spirit of Passover, right? Inviting the stranger. Yeah, exactly, Elijah. What would Elijah say? Exactly. Elijah would say, sit down and enjoy this. Invite them up. Right. Elijah would be like, where is my wine? They'll be fine. I read seven Holocaust books last summer. Just for fun. Jerry was like, you are a real thrill. Like, <laughs> we'd go out to dinner, and I would tell these horrendous stories to people. And like, fun fact, guys. Jerry would be like, I'm, we, we just can't do this anymore. We can't, you can't dissolve every conversation into a Holocaust, even the pain of the Holocaust for people. Like, people what your marriage just, needs is the Holocaust drinking game. Yeah. You need really, to, I need to, yeah. Introduce yeah. We're not to big drinkers, life. though. So whatever it is that you yeah. need as the deterrent slash reward. Well, I definitely uh, have done a deep dive on it in the past couple of years. <laughs> Julia, you've got one last question for Jessica Seinfeld. Lay it on us. In food swings, you have a recipe for poached egg, avocado, and whole grain toast. And the head note says, "This is what I will request for my last breakfast before I slide into the electric chair." So, what crime is landing you in the chair? I can't even imagine it. I always think about the most, as you can see, I think (laughs) about the most horrendous things all the time. And so um, I think because I'm a middle child, I was always blamed for everything. So I always think that like some horrible thing is going to happen and I'm going to get blamed for it. And so um, I don't have a plan of something horrible I would do yet. But Greg, when your son was born... Mm -hmm. 
did you, you know how, um, well, your, your lady, I'm not going to assume that you're married, your lady may have felt um, really, really, really um, terrified of doing horrible things to your child, yeah. like falling down the stairs yeah. with the baby. Yeah. That's kind of a normal reaction mm-hmm. that happens when you have a baby because all of a sudden you're a totally unqualified person caring for the most vulnerable little child that is a product of you and you're the person you love the most. So it's like the most raw, unprotected feeling in the world. And so I think I'm, I don't know, I, I, I ha- I've had three kids, and so I've had visions of terrible things happening. So I think I very quickly – I also had just read the book Just Mercy last winter when I wrote that head note, and it was all about people on death row. <laughs> so I think I wrote that head note kind of – maybe it was a little bit um, – Maybe it was a little over embellished. But you know, okay. that's real. That's that's you. It's when, what's on your mind. You know. I mean. Yeah, I don't think I'll end up at the electric chair, though. I'm fascinated by it, um, but I probably will get blamed for something I didn't do. All right. So we'll try to make sure you have a good lawyer when that Thank happens. Thank you. Yeah, I'm always back. I'm always scanning the paper for that as well. <laughs> cool. Well, Jessica Seinfeld, thank you so much for joining yeah, us you, on Jessica. Eater Upfell. This was a real Your delight. new book, Food Swings, is available wherever books are sold, which is like pretty much everywhere, everywhere. these days. Just type those words into your internet or go into a physical bookstore. We love Food those. Swings. Yeah, we love those. Them. And they're, they're a dying breed. Um, Food swings. If yeah. our listeners want to find you on social media and berate you for not being a vegan, yeah. where can they find you at Jess Seinfeld on Instagram and I think it's Jessica Seinfeld on um, Facebook and I'm I'm sort of barely on Twitter I have Everyone to be honest their own I'm a, choice, yeah I'm afraid you know. of it that's fine and it's a lot to maintain multiple social yeah network. I can barely do the presence. Facebook so Instagram I'm a little bit more all right so if you yeah let it's us a fly really awesome Instagram account thank you if you like cats and cooking that's 97% of the internet. Mm-hmm. The other 3% is really horrible racism. Yes. So great. Great. You got the good parts covered. Yeah. Well, Thanks. the cat part. <laughs> I dress up my animals a lot too. So oh. that's that's a certain specific audience. Okay. We're all just going to follow you instantly because that sounds like heaven. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Thank this you. It's a pleasure. So I just wanted to offer a quick update on my son's eating habits in case anyone is curious. So right after we recorded this episode, I went to the supermarket and I took Jessica Seinfeld's advice and I got a bunch of crunchy foods that I could break down into tiny little pieces and I put them out in a way that would be very easy for my son Peter to pick them up. And I consciously stopped trying to be a thirst trap daddy. And you know what? It immediately actually started to work. I was totally surprised and delighted but uh, very quickly after that we got him up to eating three meals a day using that technique so uh, if anyone out there has that problem I would uh, take Jessica Seinfeld's advice and there's probably a lot more tricks like that in her book I'm gonna check it out and uh, yeah that, that's how it worked out so many thanks to Jessica Seinfeld for that that little piece of advice the eater upsell is recorded at Vox Media Studios in Manhattan and Los Angeles 
Your hosts are me, Helen Rosner, and Greg Morabito, that other guy whose voice you hear on every episode. Our executive producer is Maureen Giannone. Our associate producer and editor is Daniel Janine. Our editorial producer is Monica Burton. Our studio team is Miles Ewell, Alex Ulreich, Paige Bethman, and Stephanie Broderick. And our editor-in-chief and fearless leader is Amanda Clute. But of course, of all of these people, the one who makes all of this possible, without whom none of this could exist, without whom we would just wither and die, is you, dear listener. You. Thank you for listening to what we do here, and thank you for being your beautiful self. <laughs>